Sportsman Today radio show. I'm your host. My name is John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired Baltimore police sergeant. In most episodes of the Law Enforcement Today radio show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about issues that affect law enforcement officers, both active and retired, their families, friends, and supporters. We'll also be discussing incidents in the news from the perspective of those in law enforcement. Visit our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and be sure to like and follow us on Facebook. Search for Law Enforcement Today. Joining us in the studio, Robert, Robert Greenberg, Greenberg the esteemed one oh, himself. Yeah. I'm sweating over here. Look, look what you did to me over here. Well, nobody could see me. Well, if I could have a camera in here. We're in a different studio, not the normal studio we're in, because we have a guest in the studio, and this one has extremely short chairs. Remember back in elementary school, like kindergarten, and the desk was so close to the ground, you try to get in it today as an adult, how ridiculous you look. Right, or you go that's back to- That's how Robert looks that's right That's how now. I look. Like teacher work day, and you go to school <laughs> at your kid's elementary school, and you're sitting I'll there- I'll stand in the, in the corner. I'm, in, I'm in this little chair that, I think Jay set it up like this, but- like we said, we got Eric Reynolds in the studio today. And, Boynton uh, Beach Police Department, Boynton Beach, Florida, and uh, he's, he's graciously joined us. And I saw a video that actually you sent to my attention the other day. Explain what that was. I did. I did. Uh, I was just watching, as I do, different pages that Law Enforcement Today runs and helps out. And I saw a post for the headline. It was five years ago today that my life changed forever. It changed as a police officer. It changed as a husband. And it changes as a father. It was hyperlinked to Eric, who's sitting in front of me right now, or beside me. And so I reach out to Eric, and two days later, here he is in the studio. Bingo, bango, just like that. And th- there was a dash cam video from Boynton Beach Police Department. Eric, first of all, thanks so much for coming in and talking to us today. And, and you've been through what a lot of law enforcement officers can only imagine and the vast majority of us, they say, don't go through these sort of things. I mean, it gets hairy for all of us, but not. explain what happened that day. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, it was a bank robbery that happened in a nearby jurisdiction. And it was a Red Crown Vic uh, male had robbed a bank. So we had naturally all their units just kind of flooded the area where we th- thought maybe this guy would come because they, they didn't know the direction, which guy, way the guy went. They just know somewhere on Federal Highway. And, I just happened to be passing by, and I saw him coming over from the beach, uh, but it was a Lincoln. Shocking. So a, I just, a wrong bolo. That's shocking. Right, yeah. but it was a red car, so I kind of stood out. You know? Anyways, I stood there in my car, I mean, and I saw him stop at the red light. I'm facing southbound. I see him just tapping his steering wheel. This is my guy. So he makes I call a, that the trying to look cool. Right. Like, uh, hey, I'm ignoring the police, and uh, but they, they, they know very much you're there watching them. Right, and I didn't know this was the guy. We get lots of Lincoln Town cars, especially in you know South Florida. Nine out of ten times, you think you're on the Bolo vehicle, and it turns out not to be. Right. But unfortunately for this day, it was. Yeah, he made a right, and he kind of accelerated kind of fast, and I had to make a U-turn to catch up to him. And I called it out, but I'm not no lights and sirens yet. I'm still trying to just investigate. I pull up behind him, and he starts slowing down. I notice he's got a handicap tag. Not really the right car. Don't even have the right guy. And all of a sudden, he stops. We're on the right side of the road. It's a two-lane, you know, four-lane road, but two, two lanes going northbound. And I stop. I turn my rear lights on to let oncoming traffic know that we're stopped. I'm just waiting. And I'm calling it out, waiting on backup. And it was a eerie, like, three or four seconds. Looking back, I know what. Nothing hit you at this point, right? No. Nothing. 
I mean, my little voice inside was like, you don't have to rush this. But the alarm's going off. Yeah. 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 I'm starting to feel it right now. Looking back. Five years ago, you're talking about it. I'm going, oh, my heart's starting to go. Knowing what happens later, this guy was waiting to get me then. I would have walked up to the car and said, hey, sir, your car matches the description. Wow, interesting perspective right there. Thanks for sharing that. So all of a sudden, he takes off. He floors it. I'm like, oh, he's taking off. And then Austin Monroe's waiting about, I would say, about 100 yards down. He turns around. We get in the car chase. We go through a little parking lot. He sideswipes a couple cars and gets to Boynton Beach Boulevard and he makes a right turn on railroad, clips a car there. And then now we're flying on railroad. And I'm thinking, all right, we're going to end up. And you hear units going, we're going to take 95, the overpass. That's where we have to stop sticks. I'm thinking, playing all this out. Is this the audio, <laughs> part of the audio you, you brought? Yeah, you'll hear the dispatch audio. So I'm going to I'm going to put it in right here so people can hear the police audio at the time of the actual incident. And we'll come back and talk about it some more. Three for 41 zero bolo just occurred in Delray, Chase Bank. It's a two to three minute time delay. Suspect is a black male, red bandana, black hat. He's wearing white rubber boots. Vehicle's possibly a red crown Victoria with a white top. Advised a gun was seen. I'm trying to get further. Yeah. Correction, they advised the bank is near federal. Unknown direction of travel if they went north or south. Out 30. Out 30. Railroad. 1033, what's your final on North Railroad? 900 block. 
Watch your crossfire. All units, watch your crossfire. Everybody slow down and back off. Slow down and back off to that bar. Sierra 3, we don't want anyone north of him. No one is to be north of him right now. He's still moving. He's still got a gun at reach. Stand by. Hey, I think we'll get up to you here. 39, start FP. Tampa for 900 North Railroad. Go. Copy. Copy. 39. Let's take Officer Reynolds back in the foot. Move around. Sir, Officer Reynolds. Sir, 39. Start CPR. Have FD come up on railroad. Copy FD north on railroad. Can you advise if there's any? Delta 14. Delta 14. One of the officers is hit. Get FD here. Officer hit. So that was a police audio from South Florida, Palm Beach County. Boynton Beach Police Department, and you were, what unit were you in this? I was Alpha 30. All right, so the, take us back. The guy took off. The big pursuit's going on. The adrenaline's got to be nonstop. Right, he took a turn on Railroad Avenue, which is a local road. Like, nobody goes down that road for any reason. You know, so I'm thinking, all right, is he going to dump the car, go running, you know, through the neighborhood or something? Right. And all of a sudden, he made a left turn, and bam, head-on collision with some poor lady who was coming down the other lane and the, I had to slam on my brakes I was not in a very good tactical position because I'm you know we're going so fast and you didn't expect the crash so I'm getting out of my car pulling my gun I expected him to run I didn't know if he was hurt you know all these things going to mind let me stop you there okay how many times they get out and run almost every almost time almost always yeah right and this time that didn't happen no nope, that didn't happen next thing you know I see the uh I start hearing gunshots, and I see the ground popping up like a Wild West movie when they used to make people dance. And all I have in front of me is my, I just shut my car door. So I'm running to my left, flanking him. And Austin Monroe, and I'm shooting. I don't know how accurate I was. It's almost like suppression fire. And Austin Monroe, then he starts engaging him. And now I finally get near a telephone pole, and I got good sights on the guy because the way his door bent during the crash, he couldn't open his door all the way to reach me. He wasn't. He doesn't know to shoot through a window, the car windshield, or the car window on the, on the door. And then my, uh, Officer Monroe was able to flank with me, and then we just started laying down rounds towards him, just over and over. And I remember I, I was never one to count rounds, bullets, uh -huh. or anything. You know, and all of a sudden, something told me, "Hey, you're about to run out of bullets." And I looked at my magazine, my slide, and it slid back. Oh, that's and I remember, a bad feeling. I remember emptying it, put a new uh, new magazine in, and we engaged. He kept moving. And we just kept shooting, and finally we got we walked up close enough to the car. And on the video, I'm the guy wearing shorts, you can barely see it. And I just fired like three or four rounds right through, right into him. Was finally, it slow motion for you it, in yeah, retrospect? Yeah, it was definitely. I remember being super angry. 
That's a real primal thing because I felt the same thing in the ones I was in. And it's not my nature to be like that. Right. The first instinct is I survived and I, I want to just utterly dominate this person. Yeah. And that you, you try to kill me. I know. It's a real shock. This guy just tried to kill me. He doesn't even know who I am. Exactly. And, you know, I got a five-month-old son at home at the time. So all these things going through my head. I remember feeling a hand on my shoulder tap me, one of our SWAT guys. And he's like, hey, we got this. And he had the long gun. And I remember backing up. And all of a sudden, I felt pain in my left foot. You know, why am I hurting? And I looked down, I see two holes through my shoe. Oh, you're kidding. Wow. So then I realized, oh, I was hit. And I remember kind of limping. And one of the officers is like, you all right, Eric? And I'm like, I don't know. My foot's hurting. He's like, oh. It's like you took a round through the foot, man. And then I sat down and started taking my shoe off. It was surreal. And now I'm like, man, I don't want a marked unit to show up at my house to tell my wife that I was shot. So right. As soon as I got to the ambulance, I was the first person I called, you know, and said, hey, honey, it was a little incident. I took a, you know, <laughs> a I, got, I, go, I, go, I got nicked in the foot. I hear the baby crying in the background. So I'm, and she's like, okay. I'm like, all right, She bye. didn't realize what was going on. No, I mean, later on, she understood. I the, think right now he was kind of relieved she wasn't mad. Right. <laughs> I think you were kind of relieved. She was, you were shot. Don't you know? I've got the kids at home. Yeah. And, and well, I'm not saying it's a negative. It's just a, a fear reaction, I think. I remember the ambulance I was in or the fire truck. The AC was bad. I started sweating like crazy. And, and I remember asking the paramedic, hey, how's the bad guy? He's like, oh, he didn't make it. And at that point, it was very sobering. It was like, wow. I mean, we just killed somebody. Even though he's trying to kill us, and I don't hold any remorse, right? But it's it's not something that you're used to ever doing, right? You know, right? So, ride to the hospital. They start pulling the bullet fragments out of my foot when I'm in there. I want to stop you for just one second. You said you were angry, right? And do you remember what you were angry about at the time? Jay had his point of view. We never asked you. Do you remember what you were angry about? I guess I took it so personal that he was shooting at me. Like, you're almost like, who the, you know, fuck you think you yeah, are to try and freaking, you, the, yeah. I'm a father, I'm a husband, you know, and. You Re- know, repeat that for people that aren't in law enforcement that just think we're robots that. Yeah, you know, I'm a father, family. I'm a husband, you know, I'm a son yeah. of a law enforcement officer who's retired. And that's just, you know, I tell a lot of people what that incident did to me. It took the innocence out of police work for me. You know, so it seems so routine, even though, yeah, it was dangerous doing stuff. But that day. Reality sucked Yeah, in. it's like, wow, this really could happen. And that's one feeling I'm imagining a vulnerability all of a sudden. No, I can get hurt. I did yeah. get hurt, but it could be much worse. And, and I had to use deadly force, which none of us ever want to do. Ever. I've never recalled ever anybody ever saying, you know, today I want to pull my gun and well, I want to cap somebody. Well, I, I no one ever said that. I think that. it's a great segue to get Eric in. I mean, how, just because you were in your first shooting, mm-hmm. it was how many years you were on the job at the time? At the time, 10 years. And how, how has it affected your life? Well, that's one of the reasons I'm here to hopefully help some other officers or anybody's maybe going through some PTSD issues. First year. It was, you know, pats on the backs, getting lots of awards, you know, and then seeing the news coverage and, you know, it was like being the popular kid in school and and you're happy you survived it and you're proud of yourself. And I'm obviously proud officer, you know, Monroe had my six that day. But then after all that, the dust settles. I ended up, we got to go to um, Washington, D.C. in 2014. We were honored as February officers of the year 2013. Wow, that's awesome. Just of the month, but... 
you know. Still an awesome So we got to do the D.C. trip, and that was really cool. But going to, like, the the candlelight vigil, hearing mothers of slain officers crying around me. Sorry. It's all right. No, I get it. I get it. I get emotional today still. That's a lot of reasons. And a lot of times it comes out of nowhere. That's why a lot of times he... uh, he, he was a little rebel back in his day. He can't talk about a lot of stuff that he's been through. No. what What's going on with you right now is quite all right. I, I find myself, and I'm, once you get more collecting, you go back. But yeah, I find myself sitting time. down. I'll be the gym, and I'll be working out. And all of a sudden, I'll have memories of that stuff. And it's right back. And it's very emotional. And I tell my wife, I said... You know, I get periods of extreme sadness that, that come out of nowhere and then leave very quickly. But yeah. it used to be they were there 24-7. Right. Yeah, like, you get, like, the survivor's guilt yeah. a little bit, you know, and even though you're glad you're there for your family and stuff, you can't help but see the misery that goes on at the, these ceremonies. And my mom, down in Miami Day, she lost her best friend, was killed in the line of duty in, like, 1982. And... I saw her name on the wall, you know, and so all that just goes in. What's going on? And then you get back, and I had to have a second surgery on my femur growing, so I'm out again on light duty. Cause luckily, I'm in a desk job now, so I'm not back out on the road. But I can tell you how I felt going back to the road after. I, Talk after, about more of your struggles. I know you you started to get into it, and specifically for those people that are listening right now, if you were to explain to them what you went through and 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 how it affected you after you were involved in the shooting? Well, about two years later, um, it just started hitting like the hypervigilance, not going, wanting to go out as much. Keeping my hand, my family at home was safe. You know, I didn't have to worry about them going out. Or when my wife was pregnant, I have to be with her. If you go into the store, I'll come with you. You know, I, I, I'm okay. No, I'm going. You know, because I can't sit here on the couch knowing you're out there. Right. So comes like in a weird way of mind you know and you're just trying to deal with it and i wasn't getting any help then so then finally i sought some help i had to go to iap and um or eap i'm sorry that's all right we knew then what I, you meant and i had to go through the ropes of workers comp and all that i don't know if you guys want me to get through what it took me to finally get to where i'm at I, I think it's good to, to hit on what you're getting at there had to be a point where you knew that things weren't the way it used to be and it had to be affecting your home life. What was the impetus for you getting the help? Was there something? Was it your wife talking to you? Was it coworkers? What was it? Was, was it you? It was a combination of things. When I, six months after my shooting, I got a desk job in evidence. And I thought I was going to ride out my career there. And I hadn't really come to grips with what I'd gone through. I thought I could just. You're not yeah. responding to an in-progress call anymore. Right. So then. We had a change in leadership at the department, and I heard rumors that any officer that was doing a civilian-type job, he was going to send back to the road. And that's what kind of started bringing it back. Okay. Like, oh, my God, I'm going back out there. You know, and you and had it, done a stint on the road for, when you first came for back. For three months, and the, the level I was at, like, there was an, um, an article that came out, like, 2011 by the FBI of all the officers that have been killed and a little synopsis on what happened. Whether and if so many of us just routine calls. Oh yeah. Like a guy shows up at a traffic stop or a traffic crash, he doesn't realize it's a domestic gone bad and he gets freaking gunned down. I think that actually just happened in Arkansas. Lieutenant yeah. Arkansas. Yeah. yeah. Back but up on that, a traffic I, stop. I'm reading this and I'm seeing 
like a guy goes to arrest a shoplifter, but the shoplifter was wanted for something else and he kills the cop. So every call I was going to, I'm like, am I going to die on this call? Every call. Every call. Even though I was prepared, you know, and that's what your brain does. It gets you really ready to go. And over time, that is just exhausting. Yeah. Explain the symptoms when, when your mind goes into that, am I going to die? This, do you get a physical response? I know the answer is for me. As the heart rate goes up, I start sweating. Go ahead. You know, and How about I your even, fingers? Yeah, and I'll even stutter a little bit because I'm getting yeah. I'm getting excited. And it's a fight or flight kicking in. And, and this is one of the things I hate. I hate when, and I, I know it's a good clinical term, they'll call it anxiety. Right. And I, I despise that because it's not anxiety. It's, it's a, a brain injury where you're getting a, a biological response to a certain similar stimuli. And it's a fight or flight syndrome coming up. It's not anxiety. It's a reaction to being in life and death stuff. Yeah, it's a survival instinct. Your body is preparing you. And it fight. feels it feels horrible. <laughs> right. Shortness of breath, and you think everybody thinks, oh my God, I'm scared to death, and I'm a, I feel like I'm a fraidy cat. Did you ever question yourself? That I was way? telling him I chased a shoplifter that was hiding in an apartment complex, and when I came around a corner, he was bladed against the wall, and I pulled my gun out because I didn't know what else this guy was wanted for. He reached into his pocket. After I was given orders to get on the ground. And I almost pulled the trigger. And later on, when I got him in custody, I'm like, what were you doing? Why didn't you listen to me? He's like, sir, I was scared. I never had a gun pointed at me before. And I was just reaching for my ID. How how long after the incident did this occur? That was about five months. And that's when my wife's like, honey, things are, you're not right. You need some help. And then I got evidence. So that delayed it. And then once I found out, I might go back to the road. It all just came flooding back. And that was your impetus to go get some help. I went and talked to a supervisor, one of our, and he did me the right way and said, hey, man, you need to go talk to these people. And then I went through the different routes and filed a claim through workers' comp and ended up having to go to a hearing. And then I finally found a doctor that's awesome. Totally awesome. You know, I'm so glad to hear the Boynton Beach Police Department and the city government did the right thing with you. Because so often that's not the case. We hear so many officers that uh, weren't able to work and they're fired. You know, people listening right now, they're, and, and they're all horrifying. hearing about, yeah, they're, they're all hearing about the stories that we do get help. It's the ones that don't get help that can't come on the show and talk about it. So, And, and, and quite a few of them don't survive. Correct. Right. And that's the reality. The stark reality is that these officers, and please don't get me wrong, that I want to say we're all angels here. But it goes to work one day and experiences a horribly traumatic thing. And there's been many of them before that, that all kind of cumulatively build. And then that one throws you over the edge. And then all of a sudden, for many of us, our marriage is in in trouble. We're isolating. We're alone. We're drinking too much. We can't sleep. Not able to eat. Not able to, to spend time with our kids. Not able to do your job. And then when it all goes away, for some of these officers that don't get the support like you got, they're left with a choice, and their choice is, is the rest of my life going to be like this? If so, I don't want to live like this. Right. And that's a sad reality which happens. And they say, on average, about every 63 hours in the United States, a police officer commits suicide. Every 63. Yeah, I was lucky. I never had any of those intense thoughts that bad. Obviously, my son was so young, and became a you know super dad, like being involved with his T-ball and I was still interacting with civilians. You know, I tried not to just surround myself with just cops, you know, and it's healthy. Yes, it's very healthy. Even though they don't know what's out there, it's still nice to talk to people. 
I don't know, just escape it, you know. And you know, I was drinking too. Yeah. You know, I had to take the edge off. I was short with my wife. I had no patience, you know. And and that's just, that's so that that's such a common feature for so many people who've been through these sort of things, and not just officers, combat veterans the same way. They, they go, they're happily married, they go to combat, they come back, they're chained, and they're constantly in arguments and disagreements, and it, the irritability factor is is indescribable, and the defensiveness, you know, and it's like going from defensive to aggressive, and it, and it creates so many problems in, uh, in relationships. Well, I heard studies, too. You've been in one shooting, your chance of getting another shooting go up. Nosman Monroe was in a second shooting 18 months later. Wow. He got well, injured, you know, and they're... And it's just, I don't want people to think that PTSD makes you a coward or you have to hide from stuff. And what it did for me was I was going to kill somebody again. There was no doubt because nobody's going to take me away from my family, no right. threat. And that's what I was scared of. Am I going to shoot somebody that didn't need to be shot? And next thing you right. know, I'm going to get, you know, judged, the shop judged the story. Two. Exactly. That yeah. was no, I totally get what you're saying now. I, I, you tied it in nicely. Um, give a shout out for that doctor because me and Jay have heard some horrific Horror stories, yeah. stories. And, and if you listen to uh, Stacey West's uh, show, she didn't have a positive first encounter, and it took her a while. But give a shout-out to that doctor and, yeah, doc- and explain a little bit what he did for you. Dr. Mark Barnett, first meeting him, you know, we just talked about the incident. And he kind of told me what, like, my brain was doing and why I'm fe- having these emotions and these feelings. And your brain's pretty much taken over for you. And he said it, remember how, your brain's telling you, remember how you used to sleep at night getting a good night's rest? There was before and thereafter. There was before where I didn't have a care in the world. Like we tried it your way, you almost got killed. Now we're going to try it my way. (laughs) Thank you very much, yeah. So that's the brain tricking you. It's doing itself for survival. You don't understand it at the time. And then... You know, you, remember how you used to like to go out and go to the mall or go to the movies? Yeah, we're going to sit at home now and watch movies or something. Yeah. You know? yeah. Remember how you used to like to just go out with your wife to dinner? Yeah, let's just order it, you know? And he's, and I started seeing that in myself. Right. And he actually talked to my wife and talked to my son. And not, not really about the shooting, but just more of like, how's life at home? How's Eric doing? And she told him straight up, yeah, he's doing good when he sees you. He wasn't, you know, he's, I guess I was a dickhead sometimes. Well, how would you describe when you were at your worst as compared to now? How would you describe the difference? If you had a numerical score, uh, one being the absolute depths, the worst of, of your experiences, and 10 being almost like I've never been through anything. I got ahead of it. So I don't think my depths of how bad I was getting was really, I would say it was more like, a five, let's say five or six. I was starting to go down a dark road, and luckily I was able to get the help you had loved ones around you that noticed right it. i wasn't the and you listen which is pretty amazing i mean you listen to your loved ones a lot of people that i know do not listen and and in fact when people go to them and, and confront them about it they shut them down and they even deteriorate further yeah and you made a good point because early on for me when things are bad i wouldn't even talk to other police i would say yeah you're police but you don't understand because if you haven't been through this, you don't know what even what I'm talking about. And I can't explain it to you. That was the other hard part, because I can't explain it. That's the really difficult part, is I can't even go into detail talking about it. Right. I mean, this job, you know, you sell part of your soul for the pension and the career. 
and you're going to at the end of your career, you're going to have issues anyways. Yeah, yeah. Some of the stuff we've seen. You know? Robert's pretty much unscathed, but I'm telling you, he's a scrambled no, we, egg sometimes. No, we we. <laughs> he well, liked you no, to think that he's what all, he, all fine. What he's bringing up is I've had a tough time with this, meaning that. I remember I've been on the job for 31 years and I can still remember my first call. Um, My FDO broke his hand. It was a bar clearing fight. It was guns from the old timers, holsters all over the ground. And it was just, don't take this the wrong way. It was just fun. No, it was fun. It was fun. And I never, and I I guess where I'm going with this, I'm going to not bore you with my story because it's all about you, Eric, is I never feared what you just went through. So my question to you is, Is did you fear your mortality and that you could actually get killed on the job before this incident or this just? It was a combination of being a, a new father too. My son was five months old. Gotcha. Know? And Father's Day was that first weekend after the shoot. So my first Father's Day I was spending in a boot and cast reflecting about what had just gone through. So right. that was... That was a lot of it, you know, and I want to be there for my kid, you know, and then go into D.C. And then every every cop that I hear that gets killed, it seems to hit a little deeper than before. Yeah, I was sad for him before, but now I'm like, man, his wife, his kid, his co-workers, his parents, like it just comes and just overwhelms you. Have you been back to police week since that? No, I haven't. I had another kid, and you know, that goes. No, no, no. Sometimes, uh, and I I can relate to me, I I haven't been there because I just know my personality. I don't want to feel that. I I don't know if you can But you're going next year. I'm being forced. Yeah, we're all going. There's a bunch of us going. We're going with some friends that we met uh, with Orlando PD. So there's a bunch of us. You want to join in, bring some guys. Um, Yeah, we're going up as a big group uh, next year. That's the way to go. I mean, I'll be the guy with a great big bath towel and beach towel to sob in so i'll be easy to recognize because there's some when i went to the memorial it took a long time for me yeah i just uh, i I cried nonstop for hours the reason why i bring that up is is if you feel that way when you're there i know me personally i probably won't go back because i don't want to feel that i i I don't know how better way to explain it no i'll go back it's fun actually being around different cops from different cities and departments and I was actually, we were up there with the uh, guys that caught the Boston Bombers. Oh, yeah. really? They were wow. part of our same calendar year of officers nominated. Just get to talk to those guys. And so a lot of it is very positive. It was just that initial night of, the, you know, that was the rough spot. Right. You know, and right. That's what I still now think about, you know, and but I would definitely recommend it any officer to go make that trip. You almost owe it to the fallen off. Now we, they got, sacrificed. now we got guilt in there. I got to really yeah. go now. That's it. I got enough guilt. I got more now. <laughs> <laughs> right. So all in all, right now you're in a pretty good place. Yeah. Your marriage well, is good. Are you? Family life are is you? good. And I'm asking kind of, is it, are you where you want to be yet? I'm, so, I'm still not as happy as I probably should be, you know? And like I said, I haven't like, you know, now I'm more vested into my family. I'm getting there, you know, and I just don't want... You know, somebody's out there really suffering. You, you got to reach out. You know, like I didn't go around the department talking about it. I went to one specific supervisor I trusted. You know, and I know right. it's worked. Probably worked its way around, but right. You know that you can beat it and you can manage it. It's possible. And right. I'm not using medications or anything like that. You know. Good point. Excellent I'm, ex- point. I'm exercising as much as that's I can. another one I do too. Right, and me and the wife still have a very intimate relationship. 
you know, so that hasn't been affected. You know, I think I just, I got ahead of it. And that was probably the biggest thing for me. One of the things you said managing, and this is something that uh, we talked to Jesse Holton from Paws and Stripes College. Yes. And they train PTSD dogs for veterans and first responders. They get them for free. And one of the things they do is they found that when the veteran or the first responder, the police officer starts having nightmares at night, the dog is trained to lick his face or her face to get them out of the cycle. Because they found it's a cascading series of events that happens. And it starts with not sleeping well. And then it triggers another thing and another thing and another thing. So what I was taught early on, and I'd be willing to bet you're going to say that I was taught I had to manage my life. I had to get into regular sleeping patterns. And I, I had a hard time sleeping for years. So they said, if you don't fall asleep till 3 in the morning, set your alarm for 7. And don't take a nap. And eat around the same time every day. Exercise. Try to simplify your life and try to quiet your mind. And those those things. And if I find the red flags, if I find that I'm getting irritable a lot with people driving, that there's something I'm not doing right. I got to watch. Yeah. I mean, I still walk out of the house every day and I'm like, my head's on a swivel. I'm like, yeah. There's some guy today, he knows I'm a cop. He's going to shoot me right in front of my house. Everywhere I freaking go, if I go to the supermarket, there's going to be an active shooter here. And I know. I used to think like that before. It's on a whole nother level now. Right. You know, what for people that are listening, and I know we didn't even get to this yet, Jay, but the primary focus Eric came on here is again, it so shows the brotherhood um, that he wanted to come in, share his story, and see if he could help somebody else that's experiencing the Bingo. same thing. Absolutely. And I really appreciate that both me and Jay do. What would you say, or, or, or you're a better listener when somebody would call you, and what have people around you, your loved ones, how have they helped you? Just let me talk to them, you know, about understanding maybe why, you know, I was a little bit on edge, or why, like, instead of, you know, family events going somewhere, hey, let's just have it at our place, why I'm maybe saying stuff like that, you know, and I had, I mean, Dr. Barnett was the only one I really, really could open up to. You know, and I would break down because I was, was able to release it. You know, right. Almost like what I did here. Like like he says, it just comes out of nowhere. You start talking and you just start, all the emotions come and hit you, you know. And I was lucky because I was able to maintain a routine with my career. Right. I wasn't fired or let go. Which where now I'm isolated. Right. Or, you know. Right. And that makes it so much That's worse. That's a huge. Did the guys at your department or do the guys at your department actually come and talk to you about it? Or is it? packed away in a shelf at a closet and the door's closed. How do you feel about so, it? And and would you welcome that? And Or is it still difficult for you to discuss it with people that you work with? If anybody came up to ask me, I'd be straightforward. Like, yeah, I mean, that, that incident kind of messed me up a little bit. Didn't destroy me. Didn't break me. Right. You know, and some of the older officers, you know how it happens. You start off and you're all, you got your tight-knit groups and then y'all get married and someone pisses somebody else off and you spread mm -hmm. out and then towards the end of your career you're only really friends with like two people right you know and i have good guys that i can talk to and there's the other layer of guys that i trust and i can still talk to right or they can come up to me and ask me you know and i mean I know i'm still a little bit isolated in evidence so i'm not on calls BSing with him or going to your lunchtime and eating and then having to break for a hot call so i'm not doing any of that stuff anymore right which is probably good for me and on the healthy end. Uh, but it's also, you miss some of it too. Yeah. You miss the camaraderie and you're not, you don't feel like you're part of the team sometimes. 
Yeah, that happens. I mean, in another way, I'm involved in a lot of investigations because I'm getting all the evidence in and we're talking to detectives. And so it's a different, you know, it's a different way to work nowadays. Well, I'm so glad that, A, the Boynton Beach Police Department, and I'm giving a big shout out again for, for doing the right thing by you. And because uh, that's not what a lot of agencies in the United States, they don't do that. Many of them don't. And I believe at the time of your incident, your chief may have been my old co-worker uh, from the Baltimore Police Department. Yeah, Chief Matt Emler. Matt Emler. Great guy, by the way. And we got to get him on a show someday. And and your family for kind of coalescing and helping you. And, and also the doctor. For any officer out there that's going through this and feeling like they're all alone, if this dude, but this woman picked up the phone and called you, what would be the first thing you would tell them? I'd ask them, who do they got around them? Who's, do they have family? Do they have a tight friend that they could talk to? Or I actually talked to uh, our chief now, Chief Jeffrey Katz, about my situation. He patted me on the back and said, you know, I have no plans of moving you out of evidence as long as you want to be there. You You tell him I said thank you. Love to have him on the show, and you can extend that welcome to him. And we're going to get together and do a follow-up later on down the road. Yeah, you're you're close enough where you can swing in here any day. Yeah. Right. And, and you're, he's our first official in-studio that's guest. Right. Which we did, I didn't mention I that to you. I didn't want to put more like, added stress oh on man. you. Oh, man. Yes. I can actually see who I'm talking to. It's yeah, great. Yeah, I get it's my, much better. I get my name on this chair? Yeah, you, get, yeah you get the chair. <laughs> the munchkin chair. All right, so we have... Eric Reynolds, Boynton Beach Police Department, uh, thank you so very much for being a guest, for, for sharing the details of the incident you went through, uh, your recovery, your physical recovery, which you didn't, we didn't go into a lot of detail about the physical recovery, but I suspect that the, the mental, it was a lot longer, and a lot harder, and it's still ongoing. Yeah, it came later. Don't be surprised. A couple years later, you start having these feelings. Cause it's perfectly natural. Thank you, know, you so know. much for being a guest. I do appreciate it, man. We'll have you back. Thanks for coming in, Eric. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Now, I don't want people to think that every officer out there has this happen to them, but it's happening to quite a bit, and it's a pretty high percentage. I, I think I read somewhere that there are estimates of about 30 to 35% of police officers active right now have some degree of post-traumatic stress disorder in their lives. Some yeah. are very dramatic and very bad, because it's a, a, a degree thing. It could be very minor. And I'm sure those numbers are going to increase based on all the tech, not, not technology, all the knowledge that's coming about. Right. And uh, it's just a, a situation and a mental, help me out with it's a, it's a physical, physical, it's a physical brain injury. Yeah. And that's why I tell people it's not, it, uh, technically it's a mental illness, but I, it, that's not the right term. I hate it's that, a brain I hate that, injury. I hate that term mental illness. If I break my arm in a line of duty. No one expects my arm to be, even when it's fully healed, no one ever expects your arm to be 100% like it was before the injury. Right. I don't care if you have 15 surgeries. We don't expect that. But when we go through all this constant, horrific pounding, pounding of trauma, 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 then have, you know, a full-on gunfight and you're injured or you come close to being killed and you wind up killing someone, that is like a head-on collision after all that. And it's a brain injury. And Eric hit it really well. It's manageable, but you got to get on top of it. And it requires work. And I don't believe in the happy pill, the happy pill solution. Yeah, we've known that. It doesn't. I tried that years ago for me, and it doesn't work. It's but, disastrous. But then 
on the flip of that, and I don't know because obviously I, I, I haven't been diagnosed with PTSD, but you've been diagnosed with about a hundred other fifty other things. <laughs> 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 that boy ain't right. I'm telling you That's right true. now. Yeah. Maybe that keeps it away. <laughs> that could be it. But what I want to get is for those officers out there, if you know someone that's just been through hell and back and they're changed and you, we know it, we see it in each other and we don't want to say anything. Man up, woman up, put on your, your adult pants, your, your police pants and talk to them and say, go talk to somebody. Go talk to someone who understands and is qualified to deal with the traumas that first responders go through. Because your life what, can get so much better. That's uh, I, I don't want to jump in and say this, but saved your life by actually going and stepping up and getting the help that you Yeah, you it took a lot for me that day to go talk to that commanding officer and sit down with him. And I broke down. It, it was weighing so much on me. And once I was finally, and he'd been in a shooting, so he was able to relate. And that's when he made, you know, push, push me in the right direction to start the process. Or it's at least. good that we have more leaders like that that can recognize that and not uh, sweep things under the rug or, or say, you, you know, suck it up. Or do what they did back in the day for me. Right, Go suck a couple up. cold beers and yeah. uh, decompress. Right. Yeah, I've tried that for too long. <laughs> right. Thanks again, Eric Reynolds. We appreciate it. Thank you. Until next week, on behalf of everyone associated with law enforcement today... I'm Robert Greenberg. Did you get a closeout line yet? I didn't. Uh, we'll, we'll ask Eric. Give him a homework assignment. Okay. So on behalf of everybody associated with Law Enforcement Today, I'm John J. Wiley. Until next time, see ya. Thank you.